So someone once said to me that uh, laughter is another form of uh, therapy from stress, right? So as we have people who actually plays a big role in initiating that laughter, uh, these are the comedians, right? So joining me on the line is none other than Eugene Koza, who is a South African comedian, actor, and television presenter as well, best known for co-hosting of the SABC One Sports Magazine show Countdown 2010. I believe that time um, you were watching um, the, the, the I mean the, the, the World Cup and um, he was becoming actually he became rather not even becoming he became a household name so Eugene welcome to IFM and welcome to Drive Time thanks so much for your time today Thank you for having me, man. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm doing great. And I'm so glad that um, you are back on the scene because you took a break for some time. And um, I think that's where we can actually start our conversation, right? Yes. You know, when when one, more especially people of your likes, uh, disappears on the scene, um, people wonder what happened, where, where is he, where is he at, and what's he, what is he doing? I think we need to take it from there. Why did you take a break? Hey, I think a break was necessary. I think anybody, even people that work at the supermarket, sometimes they take, they yes. take leave. But, but if you're in the public eye, I guess your leave is, um, is quite noticeable. Questionable, right? Uh, yeah, questionable. <laughs> but thanks to social media, you know, if you follow me on Instagram or Twitter, yes. you would know that I'm still around and uh, the thing that I wasn't doing the most mm. uh, was comedy, but I was doing everything else. All right. Yes, I was asking in, in that regard because for me, I think I've known you because of the comedy. Um, yes. Yeah. So that's why now I had to start on, on, on that one. But now since that you are back on the, on the arena, how is the industry? Yes. I believe that ever since lockdown, things have changed. Yeah, things have, have changed quite a bit, you know, but we're starting to see audiences coming back um, to the club because that's what I've been doing mostly. Mm. There's big events that are coming up and audiences are responding to that. So I've actually taken that break and I came back about three months ago. And since then, I've been able to play about twice a week. Mm. And it's been going great, man. Yeah, the audiences are coming back and the country is opening up as we speak. Mm. So I'm, I'm sure you didn't lose any of your of your test because once you stay away for some time and uh, you lose that thing. <laughs> I think... I think comedy is one of those things. It's unlike athletics, you know, if you are off the pitch for a while, you might lose your fitness. But uh, comedy is um, intrinsic to mm. me. Um, it's what I see. It's what I talk about. It's what I do. So getting on stage actually after such a long time uh, proved to be a good thing because at least I got to get out of my system the things that I've been thinking about for the last three years. Mm, beautiful stuff. So now j just one thing here. How is the industry in South Africa comparing to other countries? Yeah, I think um, because I have most friends of mine uh, comics in the U.S., mm. the difference here and the U.S. is the fact that frequency for one. Um, in the U.S. and New York, you can play nine clubs or ten clubs in a night, mm. um, and that's between Monday and Sunday. Uh, where else here, the clubs are very scattered, and most of them actually, during due to COVID, had to shut down, mm. sadly. But new ones have emerged. So that's one thing, the frequency for one. And the audiences here, um, we find that they are less prone to come to more frequent, bigger gigs than they would overseas. But I guess it's because overseas comedy is more of a culture than a, um, a thing that people do once in a while. You know what I'm trying to say? Yes. So, yeah. in, so that's the difference. All right, cool stuff. So in your, in your actually experience, um, when it mm. comes to here in South Africa, um, mm. 
places that you have been, you have performed, do you, which, which side do you think um, is more in love with comedy than, than the other? Let's say here in Eastern Cape, because we are based in Eastern Cape, and uh, maybe if you with the other places that you have ever been. Yo, I think uh, in South Africa it must be Joburg, um, Johannesburg, and Cape Town. Um, there's more clubs to perform in, mm. so I guess the culture has, uh, has more of a say in people's minds, because people decide, am I going to go clubbing, am I going to eat out, or am I going to watch comedy? Mm. So Cape Town and Johannesburg, for me, come closest to what you can experience when you go out of this country to go perform comedy. Oh, lovely stuff. Mm. All right. So for me personally, I, I actually love comedy just to like go to comedy just to laugh. Um, it is a, yeah. an, an escapism for me. But I hear that it has generalized too. I've never understood like the difference between those because when I'm watching you or watching Dave Chappelle or watching Trevor Noah, I will, all I do is laugh, you know? <laughs> I think you're doing more than laughing, unbeknownst to you. You're also thinking as well. Mm. I mean, you uh, if you like those kind of comics, it means your comedy taste is quite discerning as well. Because over some time, we've realized that um, not all comics are the same. Mm. Um, they don't talk about the same subject matter, and they don't find the same things interesting. So depending on which comic you like, if you dissect what they speak about, it means that you believe in the values mm. that they espouse in their comedy. So it is more than just laughing. I think laughing is the natural instinct that comes across after you've heard something funny. Mm. But after that, your brain processes the information and you realize why you laughed in the first place. Mm. So it's a messaging behind it, you know. It's therapy for both the listener and the performer, I would say. Mm. But now mm. it, it's, it's quite, it quite actually, actually struck me different um, the way the way you guys construct your your, your scripts and making yeah. sure that you deliver the the messages. So how do you find the balance between? Delivering the important message and um, sparking the laughter. Mm, that's actually a very interesting question. Uh, I would say the comedian's job is to come up with an idea and the audience's job is to find it funny. Mm. That's all there is. Because I don't think there's one comedy, um, I mean comedian or comic that writes funny. Uh, that would be very interesting to see, actually. Um, you just structure your conversation and the audiences will find it funny. Because mm. there's no one who knows where the beats are. And comedy is one of those things where it's almost like cooking, you know? Yes. Cooking in front of the audience as well. They will tell you how much salt to add, how much water is needed, how much heat is needed. So every set is crafted in front of people. And before it gets to a stage where it becomes a special or one-man show, you go through so many audiences for them to edit this Google Doc mm. that you have, that is your set, to tell you what is funny, to tell you what you should add, and to tell you what you should stop or do less of before you get to a bigger audience and then you see it sharpened up on a Netflix or Amazon special or on a Hulu special, that one hour that you see is is being edited by so many audience members over a period of a year or two sometimes mm. trying to get your set right. So it's the audience that tells you what funny is. You you as a comedian, you have no right or space to even tell what the the audience should be laughing at. Mm. So many people speak about, uh, you know, comedians who laugh, who laugh at their own jokes, saying that uh, those are not like, you know, um, good comedians. <laughs> but you, when you laugh at your own jokes. Yeah, I do, because I find, I find what, if the audience finds what I say funny at that time and we both surprised at the same time, yes. I find that funny. Because I don't come with a pre-expectation that I'm going to make you laugh. Mm. I come with the expectation that at least what I have to say you'll find interesting the bonus is when you find it funny, and if I find it funny as well. Because the weird thing happens with comedy. If you stop finding what you are saying funny along with your audience, then you're just reading a script now, or you're just doing it out of memory. 
So it's always important to keep the fun element of what you're saying mm. um, inside of you and you're having fun with the audience at the same time. If that makes any sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah, so much. So have you ever been into Eastern... I mean, how many times have you been ever... Have you been in Eastern Cape and... Um, I just want to find find out like how was it like your experience here because courses have their own way of uh, looking at things or finding things funny <laughs> <laughs> and if you go to Kosovo is a whole different story and uh, in Pretoria is different you know taste as well I guess, I guess that's the thing and I was having this conversation with a friend of mine and we were talking about how diverse South African comedians are that's why we find it easy to adapt when we whenever, whenever we go overseas because in South Africa, there's 11 official languages, mm. there's different cultures, and by driving two hours, you can experience a different culture there altogether, yes. what people find funny or not. And personally, I haven't performed in the Eastern Cape in the last five years or so, mm. um, but I've lived in the Eastern Cape in Port Elizabeth for over a year, mm. and I find that interesting. I think culturally, we are not all that different, but it's just the things and the nuances that we, we find funny and the things that we speak about that make us different, you know? Mm-hmm. But I guess whenever you're going to a city, the challenge in South Africa as a comedian is you're always thinking, should I edit my set based on where I'm going or should I keep it the same so that the show stays the same? Mm. And both ways, you find, you find yourself in a bit of trouble because if you don't adapt to the environment that you're going, a lot of things that you're saying might go over the heads of the people that are there. But sometimes you find the diehard fan that has seen your show in Johannesburg or Cape Town and has followed you mm. in the city you start editing it according to the audiences that are present there, then the show gets diluted instead of edited, if that makes any sense. Yes, so that's yes, what yes. we're struggling with. But personally, that's what I'm struggling with. So I'm trying to keep the set the same everywhere I go. In every city that I've performed in the last three months, I've tried to keep it standard and the same so that all the audiences, depend. doesn't matter where they are, they always get the same experience. Lovely stuff, lovely stuff. Actually, um, there is something that I've, I've noticed um over the couple of times I've been into the comedy shows, um, is yeah. exactly what you are saying right now. People look into the audience and see who is there, and now they change yeah. now according to, to that. Then yeah. I was wondering, like, do they change? Like, is it impromptu or is it uh, scripted or something like that? But people like Tepiso from here, uh, I mean, he's been, uh, he's been doing great as well. And when I, mm-hmm. when, when I look at him, when I hear uh, when he speaks, and he, he's just catered, I mean, Everything that he's doing is like mm-hmm. he, he was creating the script right there in front of the audience. Yeah, yeah that, that, that's a mark of a great comic, I won't lie. Mm. If you are able to create the recipe and the menu in front of your, in front of your diners, that's what comedy is. The audience is the person on the other side that will tell you whether the thing is interesting to them or not, whether it's funny or not, by the way they react. And sometimes, you know, when you're starting out as a comic, you're trained to search for laughter. But sometimes, even those awkward pause, pauses between the audience and yourself, they're a learning moment. Even those gasps, or even the time when they look away or look to their friend, mm-hmm. that's a teachable moment because in what you're saying, it invokes a reaction. And the, there's only, uh, we're trained as we're beginning to think there's two reactions. It's either laughter or silence, right? Yes. But there's also a nod of agreement. There's also a time when someone makes a sigh, you know, or someone agrees with you without even doing any verbal cues. Mm. So all of those are ingredients that you need to be aware of as an audience member. But obviously when you're performing to a large group, it's impossible to see everyone's reaction at the same time. 
So that's why one of the tricks is to always focus on one person, not to pick on them, mm. but to focus on them, and they become a barometer of what the audience is reacting, even the people way at the back that you can't see. And that's the reason why I avoid front uh, uh, front seats. <laughs> I've always, none. I've always find it interesting. I won't lie to you. Why a, a comedian would just pick on one audience member? Yeah, uh, I've been fortunate enough that it's not. It's never been my style. And most of the comics that I'm friends with, mm. it's not also their style. You know, it's also something that we learned over time yes. by watching old American stand-up com- comedy specials mm. like the King King Kings of Comedy and whatever else that we've learned that sometimes you pick on one audience member and you go. But I also feel like audience members don't come to an audience, to a show to get picked on. Yes. And no one wants to come there to get made fun of. Mm. So luckily for me, it's never been a tool that I use. But if people use it and it works for them, I guess. Yeah, sometimes it does. But now let's yeah. let, let's rewind a little bit here and uh, talk about yeah. your maybe a little bit of upbringing, um, because many of our listeners here uh, might not know might not know you. Um, mm-hmm. What actually sparked your love for comedy? And when I come to think of it, I didn't know about stand up comedy until I was doing stand up comedy. Really, I was introduced to stand up comedy absolutely by a friend of mine who just said. Yo, let's go check it out, and then if you like it, and then you can start doing it. I said, look, I'm doing nothing on the day. Let me go see what's going on. And then I tried it out, and I never stopped. And it was only after then that I started looking at stand-up comedy. And even today, I don't watch stand-up comedy. I don't go on my Netflix account. Or I don't have any DVDs of stand-up comedy because, for me, it's still a thing that I do from what I have taught myself to do mm-hmm. and observing other people in in life situations doing Mm. But when I was growing up, I realized now as an adult that there was comedy all over me, you know? Mm. My mom is one of those people that's very funny. She liked imitating people. My school friends were funny. The things that we did, you know, whenever we used to play soccer because there was many of us in one soccer ball. So we had to take turns in primary school playing soccer. And what do you do for that 30 minutes when other kids are playing, you know? You make fun of the other ones. So I, I always say to people whenever I do interviews, I'm like, there's people in my life that I grew up with and that I know uh, in my family that are way more funnier than me. It's just, mm. that, <laughs> it's just that comedy was never a thing. And growing up as a black person, we have so many things that we find interesting and funny because we live in so many different worlds, you know? Mm. Our parents work in town but live in the township but grew up in the village. All of that gives them a, a wide view of life and how they experience life as well because they take a train, a taxi, or a bus to go to work so they experience different people as well and different circumstances because those people react differently in the morning as they do whenever it's work uh, knock off time or on the weekend so all of that upbringing um, and and the environment that we grew up made us as black people funny i can't speak for white people because i've never been white yes. <laughs> but then for us black people we we are so uh, diverse because we exist and grow up in different environments so I think that's what made me funny uh, because I observed a lot of people who were way funnier than me uh, that were just average people going about their normal life. You know, And I feel blessed all the time that I've been able to make a living for 15 years out of doing things that they do naturally and don't get paid off. Mm. You know, I think I think now this is one one of the reasons why you are so unique because you have said that you don't watch other people's um, you know sets and uh, you mm. actually do it from ex- experiencing the real life stories. Probably this is mm. the reason why you are so unique than uh, um, other, other 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 folks. Yeah, ab- ab- absolutely. I think uh, uniqueness in everything is uh, very important. I think if you look at hip hop as well, 
people rap from their own experiences, you know. But when you're starting out, obviously, you emulate the style of a person that you admire. Mm. But as soon as you get more confident, because I think that's what it is, it's just confidence. The difference between an old person and a, and a super young person is confidence. Mm. You know, an old person has lived long enough to know that they can just be themselves. But a young person has not lived long enough to imitate other people. Yes. And I guess with growth, it, it's cutting that balance. It's getting to that middle point as quickly as possible in your life while you still have your health and your influence, of the sphere of influence, to just be yourself. But I think it also took me a bit as well to become super confident in talking about myself and finding my experiences funny and not looking for inspiration out there, you know? Mm. I can look at someone's art and talent as... as as, as a fan of theirs and I can admire it but I can never uh, make it my own so it took me a while to become that confident to make my experiences public and to know that uh, and vulnerability as well to be open about it mm. and let the audience decide if they find it funny or not you know and I mm. think that's a mark of a maturity and a bit of confidence there mm. and whatever comes after that there's no control you can't control I mean how they feel about that Absolutely. I think you, both you and I know that control is an illusion, you know. Mm. The more you try to hang on to it, the less you have of it. Yes. You must just be out there and authentic. And, and I know it sounds like what your guidance teacher mm. used to say in high school. But the confidence to be yourself is, is, is the utmost vulnerability and the gift that you can give to yourself. Because you let go of preconceived notions and expectations and stereotypes. And you're just existing in that moment and trying to make a connection with the people that are in front of you. And you know this with radio as well, you know? Yes. When you're sitting behind that microphone in that studio, mm. you're talking to an audience that is cooking, that is driving, yes. that is having a bad day. Mm. But what do they want from you? They want your authenticity. Yes. They don't want you to sound like someone they know. In your mind, you got into radio because there was someone that you admired. Mm. But as soon as you became good at what you do, is you started becoming yourself. But they didn't know who you were. Uh, before you started the show, it's slowly you start introducing your personality through your music and through your content and through the things that you say um, that people start falling in love with you slowly. And it's the same with comedy. Mm. So you, being at that point, you once said that you didn't get into comedy to be famous, right? Is mm -hmm. it, isn't that the goal of any artist to be known and, and get more numbers? Yeah, absolutely. social media made it, made it seem like that. Social media made it seem as if the less numbers you have, the less popular you are. But also, that's not the truth. Mm. Um, I've also, I've always admired people who are able to do what they do in anonymity. It's just unfortunate or fortunate for me that what I do is in front of people. So it's only natural that people will know you. But I also feel like fame is one of those things where the audience will tell you how famous you are. Mm. And the audience will treat you according to how you treat yourself with that fame. You know, I've been lucky enough have fans that always enjoy what I do but not interested in my personal life yes. because they feel like they get enough of it when I'm on stage so I'm not a mystery to them mm. so uh, I've, I've been lucky enough that fame for me has never been a thing that has come back to haunt me and I'm, I'm blessed in that way you know yes 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 and and also you have said something about um, you know your experience 15 years I mean actually working um, eating through your art through your craft mm. um, we have many artists for, for example the people that I know here from from, from, from Eastern Cape Nelson Mandela Bay many yeah. many comedians are actually starving right mm. so what could be one of the most problems that uh, maybe yeah mistakes that many artists, more especially now comedians, make in mm. order not to eat from the craft? Yeah, I think it's diversification. Um, I learned that uh, actually as a practice 
way before lockdown and way before I decided to take a break, but I never had the, the courage to embark on it. But diversification in your art is important. In the U.S., before we know someone is famous for being a stand-up in South Africa or outside of the U.S., mm. they've already done so many things. For example, they do podcasts, um, they write for shows, or they've written shows before, or they perform in other places that we wouldn't know that they did perform in before we saw that little clip of them or a special that they've uh, recorded. Mm. So I think that in most cases in, in South Africa, we lack diversification. And the lockdown for me and the break allowed me to diversify. Uh, instead of just looking at stand-up alone, yes. I was able to, to write shows. I have two shows now that I've written that are being developed in L.A. right now that will soon come out. Mm. Uh, two that are being made here in S.A., and I had a podcast that I was doing with my friend Josh, who's in Israel, yes. where we um, interviewed comics from all over the world, you know? Mm. Um, I think we did like 30 comics and it's on Spotify. So diversification is that thing, because as a comic, you need your mind to be always be occupied by something. And if you think about it, stage time is not that much that it could keep you so busy. So yes. you need to learn to find things in between that you love as much that facilitate your art, you know? Lovely stuff. Okay, so I think since now that you are back on the on the arena, um, what mm. are the projects, what's, what are the projects that are lined up um, that maybe we should be looking out for? Oh, I'm doing my one-man show. I've done, uh, I've sharpened my set over the last couple of months and mm. now it's ready for a one-man show. So I'm doing my one-man show on the 4th of November at the Lyric Theatre at Gold Rift City mm. and we're recording a special day as well and then at the 1st of December or the 2nd as well, uh, I'll be at the lyrics at the Atterbury Theatre in Pretoria as well. And then I'll be going uh, overseas in the next month or so to do clubs. So I'll keep everyone updated uh, on my social media um, to show what I've been doing or, or what I'll be doing then. So mm. th so far, that's, that's it right now. I'm just having fun. Mm. Oh, and I'm doing a new TV show now that will come out uh, in December on Mzanti Magic. Wow, congratulations, brother. Thank you so much, man. Awesome stuff. So your handles are still the same at Eugene, Co at Eugene underscore Coza on IG, yes. right? Yes. And at Eugene Coza on Twitter. Yes, it is. All right. Lovely stuff. Thank you very much, man, for your time today. And also all the best with all the projects and uh, your TV programs that you'll be doing and your trip to overseas. Thank you so much, man, for a great interview. I always enjoy a knowledgeable host and you're one of those. Thank you so much. And to your listeners, thank you so much, and I'll see you guys around. Lovely stuff. And that was uh, Eugene Koza, who is a South African comedian, actor, and television presenter. Yes, now he's back with a, in, a, in, a, in a full circle, running, I mean, about to run a full court. So make, let, let me make sure that you check him out on social media at Eugene underscore Koza. That is on Instagram. And also Eugene Koza on Twitter.